and my fellow Pennsylvanians. This state's electoral votes are key to who wins the presidency, and both of the candidates know it. We win Pennsylvania, we win the whole deal, you know that. Just like last night. But states like Pennsylvania are going to be incredibly important. The only thing left on the board is Pennsylvania. The president cannot get to the finish line without the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. One state all four candidates are visiting today is Pennsylvania. Its 20 electoral votes are highly coveted, and the Keystone State could end up being one of the determining factors in the race. Jill's a Philly girl, but I'm a screen girl. I've learned a lot about what's at stake in Philadelphia politics from our past guest. If you haven't had a chance to tune in, their sage advice is evergreen. Give it a listen. Welcome any and all feedback. Today is our last discussion before a forum I'll be moderating with the mayoral candidates at the Kimmel Center on Thursday night. This is going to be a full stage. It's almost a full house. There's a few tickets that are free, by the way, and they're still available. If you can't make it, our friends at PCN are going to be broadcasting what promises to be a memorable evening. Now, today we're sitting down with Daniel Pearson from the Inquirer's editorial team. He's a lifelong Philadelphian. He's been closely watching the contours of this race develop. Now, unlike the Phillies, I don't bat a thousand, but most mornings, wish I could say all, but most mornings I start my day with the Philadelphia Inquirer. I'm grateful for the work Daniel and his fellow journalists are doing, and I look forward to gaining his perspective in advance of the mayoral forum. Daniel Pearson, welcome to my kitchen table. Thanks for having me, Ari. Thanks for the work you do. I firmly believe that democracy is based on strong journalism, and I love reading uh, the Inquirer uh, almost daily. So um, we're going to plunge in as we uh, continue with this season, talking about the uh, the mayor's race. We shouldn't forget also the city council races and all things Philadelphia politics. So I couldn't think of a better person than uh, than you. You're a lifelong right, Philadelphian. Tell so tell folks about your background. I am not a lifelong Philadelphian. We have listeners all over, but give give folks a sense of your background and how uh, you yeah. ended up the Inquirer. Sure. I mean, so I I grew up in Philadelphia. I grew up in Frankfurt, which is a neighborhood in the lower Northeast. It's kind of wedged between Northeast Philadelphia, North Philadelphia, and the River Wards, places like Juniata, Bridesburg, Mayfair, Fair Hill. Uh, Those are our Longcrest. Those are our neighboring neighborhoods. It's a very, very diverse area. The 19124 zip code is easily one of the most diverse in the entire city. You know, I went to Central High School, eventually graduated from Temple, worked for city government for a while, ended up at the Inquirer after kind of, I had been doing some advocacy work and been pitching op-eds on various local political topics. And they, you know, they uh, kind of said, you know what, you, I think we'd, you'd be a good fit for our opinion team uh, and bring your perspective to our coverage there. Uh, I've been writing editorials and occasional op-eds for the paper now for for two years. Let's start there with the last two years. I mean, Philadelphia, like every municipality in the country, has just had so much to grapple with coming out of this pandemic. Post-pandemic, when I think of walking down Market Street circa 2019, it's very different than walking down Market Street today. But, you know, Philadelphia, like every city, is not just its downtown. It affects all neighborhoods, this transition uh, to working from home for some professions. So if you could speak to that, because you and your colleagues have written about that. Yeah, the work from home phenomenon is really interesting for cities because for a long time, cities have relied on our central business districts and the jobs there to help us pay the bills. We lost some revenue from commuters who were no longer paying the wage tax because they were no longer working in the city. On the other hand, some of our neighborhoods, particularly some of the trendy neighborhoods that have seen 
major gentrification happened. For them, work from home has been kind of a blessing. Um, if you walk around Fishtown or East Passchung around lunchtime, five, six years ago, there was not significant foot traffic in those places around lunchtime like there is today because all those folks were at work in Center City. Uh, so for these neighborhoods, it's kind of become some, it's, they've kind of become like urban villages where residents don't really have to leave that often. Uh, they're not leaving to go to work anymore as often. Uh, they have everything that you need pretty much within five, 10 minute walk of your house in these neighborhoods. Uh, so that the quality of life, if you have a work from home job and you live in these neighborhoods is really great. It's just hard to balance with the need, the city's need for tax revenue and economic activity in the, the central business zone. You know, so that's going to be a big challenge, I think, for the next mayor to figure out how can we uh, get people back in Center City and also, you know, kind of lean into this urban village trend that's been popular in these out in these outlying neighborhoods. Well, the candidates are certainly not working from home. They're out and about in each of the, the 66 yes. wards, and we might as well plunge in. We've gotten perspective in previous episodes from different voices, different neighborhoods. Um, you're looking at this citywide, but, you know, you're, you're, as you said, you're, Frank Frankfurt will be home. And, you know, I'm curious when you look at the neighborhood in which you grew up, are there certain candidates that are spending more time there? Are there certain candidates that are speaking to concerns from that neighborhood? And then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, go further, we'll go citywide. Yeah, so the Inquirer did a great feature on the different voting blocks that exist in Philadelphia. And Frankfurt, along with Kensington and other neighborhoods, is kind of in the, the most ignored voting block in the city. If you look at who lives in Frankfurt, uh, it's people of color, primarily, you know, Hispanic, Black voters, uh, lots of people who, like myself, are mixed race, live in Frankfurt as well. But the turnout is really low and really very few people show up to campaign in Frankfurt outside of maybe a couple visits to Frankfurt Terminal. That's been the case for decades at this point. Unfortunately, you know, if you're if you're a candidate, you have to go where the votes are. And the votes are in these high turnout wards, uh, uh, the Northwest Coalition in uh, Oak Lane and Cedarbrook. People there vote in really high numbers. So if you're a candidate and you're looking to win, that's where you're going to go. I do think that the area's council member, Maria Canonas Sanchez, she should do pretty well in Frankfurt. Uh, she should do pretty well in her district. The issue for her is that there's just not as many votes there. So she's going to have to, as well, do a lot of campaigning in other areas where turnout's just much, much higher. For listeners outside of Philadelphia, outside the region, so the Frankfurt Terminal that you're referring to SEPTA and the, the market yeah, front for yeah. L, which stands for elevated, right? And so, Yeah, um, that's where all the Northeast buses kind of take you. If you're going to Center City, you take the bus, and then you transfer at Frankfurt Terminal. It's, I think, well, along with 69th Street, the biggest SEPTA terminal that, that we have. So you touch on the councilwoman. We don't. We don't have to particularly focus on on her campaign or any campaign. We're not singling out uh, one candidate over the other. But uh, you know, I think to 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 win this in less than a hundred days, it, it all gets down to coalitions. And I'm curious if you can speak to that because uh, you, you mentioned, and, and it just seems more and more true each year. Philadelphia just gets more and more diverse and politically more and more complicated. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think the Inquirer, if you look, there's a great feature kind of identifying the different constituencies. And I think that if you want to be mayor of Philadelphia, 
you have to have significant support in more than one of these constituencies. All the candidates have a constituency that is probably most favorable to them where they really need to clean up in order to win. But I don't think that anybody can win just in one pool of voters. You need to have support that's that's spread out. And you need to, you know, in this election, I think you need to get 10, 15% with every single constituency that the, the inquirer identified if you want to win. Some people are doing better than others at that. Uh, I think some people really need to shore up their own base first before they can try to cross over, whereas other people, their base is shored up and now they're trying to move into uh, some other constituencies and get some crossover votes. So just for example, as we're recording this, the building trades uh, have made an endorsement. Uh, Once again, we don't want to single out Cheryl Parker's campaign, not endorsing any campaigns, but that could be construed as a meaningful endorsement that organized labor is multifaceted, speaks from different voices, but maybe you could speak to that. Yeah. So Sherelle Parker, you know, she has long been rumored to be the pick of the building trades. I think since last fall, the new head of the building trades, Ryan Borier is the head of the laborers union. It's the only predominantly black union in the building trades. Uh, The other unions are not just predominantly almost exclusively white in some cases. And so Boyer taking over was a big sea change. Johnny Dock had run it. Uh, there'd been Pat Gillespie and some other folks. You know, Ryan, he brings a new perspective and he's trying to reach out. Uh, he's trying to also broaden the coalition of the building trades. So for Parker, who is from the Northwest, which is home to a lot of the highest turnout black wards in the city, to get the building trades, which is predominantly you know, white workers from the suburbs in the Northeast, that's a way for her to broaden her coalition. It's also a key to a lot of resources, both money, man, uh, manpower in terms of getting out the vote. All of that is in play now for her. And uh, it, it is a really big deal. Uh, it's a lot of unions uh, that are in the building trades. And now, they, now all of them are uh, going to be pulling in her direction. Uh, which any, any I think anybody running for mayor in Philadelphia would want the building trades in the, in their court. You know, I I don't I don't think there's a single candidate who would have turned down that endorsement. So let's let's uh, talk through another one. For example, the teachers. You know, the education issues are front and center as we're coming into this pandemic. They should be front and center each and every day, whether schools in session or not. So teachers union, I suppose, would be another coalition partner uh, or endorsement that candidates would uh, would would seek, right? Well, the teachers union is actually off the table already. You know, they, there had been a trial balloon that Vincent Hughes might run for mayor as well. But I could tell that Vincent wasn't going to when the teachers union endorsed Alan Gim. You know, I think if Vincent had run, he would not have run without that, the teachers union in support of his campaign. Helen Gim has been a longtime political ally, ally of the teachers union. She kind of made her name as she reminded folks last night, attacking Michael Nutter's record on education, criticizing uh, the cuts. It's, it's a little difficult because a lot of those cuts had to do with the withdrawal of federal stimulus funds that had passed through the state to Philadelphia and city council refused to raise taxes to make up for that loss of money. Uh, but still, it was a devastating time to be a student. I mean, I was just out of school. I knew, I knew had a lot of people who I knew were a little bit younger than me who were in this district at the time. And people lost counselors, people lost librarians, people lost school nurses, people lost their school itself. So Helen has for a long time made herself 
the education candidate, the biggest ties to the, to the teachers union in the city, uh, was not a very big surprise to see them back her in this race. Uh, and they're, they're going to back her very strongly. I expect to see them mobilizing as many willing teachers as they can find to support Helen's campaign. So as as we're recording, uh, you're referencing uh, what what they're calling job interviews that have been happening. Yes. Uh, I guess two candidates at a time. Um, some of these have been more newsworthy than than others. Maybe you can speak to these forums in general. Uh, it seems like almost nightly, some subset, if not all, the candidates are on stage. So, how much of these are actually making news? How much are you just hearing candidates kind of parrot one another to their left or to their right, and it's just not even shades of gray differences. Yeah, I mean, I, I the other day I, I called it mushy soup, what a lot of the candidates are selling. Because at this stage in the race, a lot of people, they don't want to upset people. They want to preserve their ability to go and get any person's vote in the city. They don't want to write anybody off, which means that they do sound a lot, a lot alike. And that's going to continue to be the case, I think, for a while. You know, these candidate interviews that the citizens, citizens do are is doing is are interesting because the panelists that are asking questions here are not journalists. And that's what's happening in a lot of these forums and debates, which means that the audience, it's, you know, the audience, the panelists, the, the host has its own agenda that it's, it's pushing. I mean, it's okay to, to do that, but when you have a forum almost every night, it makes it hard for the average person to, to know what to listen to, what they need to pay attention to. And also it's just, you know, you have people who just aren't objective. People were complaining about the way that Michael Nutter had talked to Jeff Brown and Helen Gim during this interview. People also complained about the way he talked to Sherelle Parker, uh, whereas Rebecca Reinhardt, who used to work for him, got, you know, maybe perhaps a softer treatment. Uh, some One of the other panelists said before she introduced former council member Sanchez, uh, that she's a huge Maria Sanchez fan. Uh, and then she did her interview. So, you know, I think it'll be good to have some forums that are more geared towards the general audience as opposed to these smaller gatherings that are geared towards very specific groups of people. Both of them have value, but, you know, it'd be good, I think, to have perhaps a few less forums next time around. Although every group in the city wants to have their own forum. So that makes it hard. And I guess the audience that comes out for these, they have the time, they're, 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 they're self-selecting to be there often in the evening. Um, so it is a subset of, and who knows? I mean, it's not like they're checking re registration at the door. They could be registered in Gladwin or Ben yes. Salem or Havertown or what have you. I'm a huge political political person in this city. I haven't attended any of those because it's during bedtime for my kids. Uh, you know, I can't be leaving my wife out to dry uh, every night for bath and bedtime. So I can go out to these forums and I'm sure I'm not the only one. I'm not a Philadelphia voter. I'm not a Philadelphia resident. I hear you loud and clear. But yeah, with a three-year-old daughter, these evening forums are not uh, uh, ideal. Yeah. I think we're in the same boat. So that, let, let, let me ask you then, Daniel, is it, do you think as, I mean, we're getting closer and closer to election day. Is this going to be decided necessarily on, on issues and policy stances and vision for the city? Or is it more just personalities and endorsements that have helped frame that image and that narrative and that personality? I would love for politics to be based on policy, you know, policy points and things like that. But I think politics at any level is about coalition building. It's about, you know, engaging key stakeholders. 
The fact is that if you want to be mayor of Philadelphia, you are going to need to have various influential people in town supporting you. Otherwise, you're just not going to win. You know, I I, I actually think that some of the mo- more thoughtful candidates in this race have have tended to to trail when it comes to getting institutional support because uh, a lot of these groups don't want somebody who's super thoughtful. They want somebody who's going to be in their corner and and back them. And you're not going to get the endorsement if you're saying, oh, well, you know what? You know, I sympathize with you, but you're wrong on these three things. That's that's not going to get you an endorsement from these groups. So, you know, I, I personally think that it would be much better to, to have a issues-based race, but that's just not how politics works, whether it's in Philadelphia or, or elsewhere. So look, I mean, if past this prologue with the Nutter first election, the Kenny first election, I mean, it's going to be a plurality. It's not going to be an outright 50 plus one win in this very, very large primary field. Obviously, to be determined, it's petition season, how many folks get on the ballot, but still, it's going to be a large field. The week after, as the candidate goes down to November, and then the week after November, and swearing in January, I mean, how does the healing process, maybe healing is too strong a word, but how does the victor then say, okay, we're all Philadelphians, we're all Pennsylvanians, we got a lot of issues on our plate. How do they then build the next four years? Or do you think that these factions and these divisions are just going to remain very, very deep? It depends on who wins. Some of the candidates, I think, if they were to win, you would see, at least initially, they would have a kind of honeymoon period where almost all the factions in the city would be trying to gain their favor. You know, I think to mention uh, Maria Cunha Sanchez, you know, I think if she were to win, you would see progressive groups, business groups, both trying to get themselves into her ear, both trying to get themselves into her inner circle both rep- you know, recommending folks to, to work for her administration. But there's other candidates that that wouldn't be the case for. If you look at Alan Dom, for example, Alan Dom, if he were to win, from day one, he would have a dedicated opposition from left-leaning voters in Philadelphia who don't want him to succeed. You know, I think from day one, he would be facing that and he'd have to have a plan to, to manage that and make sure that he's able to get things done. On the other end of the spectrum, um, I think Helen Gim has spent a lot of time in this campaign trying to reassure people that uh, she is not, you know, the Bernie Sanders of Philadelphia. Uh, she actually said at the at the candidate interview earlier this week that she doesn't even identify as a progressive in this campaign, which I think surprised people because she's been associated with that term for a long time. But she's doing that because she doesn't want to be in the reverse situation as Alan Dahl. She doesn't want to be a mayor where she is seeing a dedicated, committed opposition from more moderate people in town from day one. I do think that that's likely to happen if she were to win anyway, no matter what she says, just because she has a record of eight years that a lot of those folks aren't ecstatic about. But most of the other candidates, you know, whether it's Maria Canona Sanchez or Rebecca Reinhart, or Derek Green and Terrell Parker, I think that both of those groups would end up trying to influence them, at least at first. You know, down the line, depending on what decisions they make in office, one or both of those groups could end up being opposed. But initially, you know, I think they would be trying to be friendly. You know, that's I think that's that's the case for, for most of the field. 
And just to clarify for listeners outside of Philadelphia, yeah, Alan Dom, former city councilman uh, coming from uh, the world of real estate uh, in Center City, yeah. uh, largely. Rebecca Reinhardt, who you've alluded to, uh, the former city controller. So last question, very open-ended question. There's also quite a few folks running for city council because quite a few people in city council are now running for mayor and they had to give up uh, the, their seats. Everything we've just talked about, are the dynamics similar when you're running for an at-large citywide council seat in terms of seeking endorsements, building coalitions, uh, et cetera? Or is this a completely different discussion that we'll have to reserve another time to sit down? Yeah, I mean, the council races are interesting just because so many people left council to run for mayor. And in 2019, council got four new members. So in 2024, when council is sworn in, uh, you could have as few as you know four or five members who were there in 2018, which for that body is almost an unprecedented amount of, of turnover. Uh, that's a body where I mean, Brian O'Neill has been on city council since 1979. And uh, it used to be that he was there with a lot of people who had been there since he first got elected. So it's a body that that rarely sees significant turnover. But as far as winning a council seat, if you're running at large, that's one of the most difficult tasks uh, in Philadelphia politics, because there's 1.6 million people in Philadelphia, about 100 million registered voters. And you need to get 50 or 60,000 of them to decide that they're going to include you on your list, on their list of candidates. So you have to get, you know, I think whoever you can, it's, it's helpful to have a dedicated regional base, but that might not be enough to propel you to victory. It's helpful to have votes throughout the city. That also might not be enough to propel you to victory. It's one of the most uncertain races that I think exists as a very unique voting system where people can vote for up to five candidates. When I worked for the city, we did an analysis and we found that most people don't use all five spots. You know, people who, uh, if, if you're running for city council at large, if you like somebody else a lot on the debate stage, they're your greatest enemy because they're competing in, with you in the same pool of votes and people might be including them in their in their three or four people alongside you, which almost cancels out your vote. So it's it's a very, I, I think that race is one of the most difficult to predict pieces of politics that exists. The most helpful thing is to have lots of name recognition, which is why I think both of the incumbents that are running for your re-election, Kathy Gilmore Richardson and Isaiah Thomas, will win because people have voted for them before and people recognize their names. But the rest of the field, there's nobody out there who's really uh, super famous you know, you could talk about your fave trash man, but he, you know, he kind of became famous during the pan pandemic. Uh, you could talk about, you know, somebody like Joe Vitzkowitz or Aaron Santamore, but they're well known in, you know, very connected circles around Center City, maybe not as well known out in Frankfurt and Northeast Philadelphia. So in that race, it's going to be, and there's a lot of people, I mean, you have Grace Kelly's great nephew is running. You've got, you know, various, you know, rich folks who just are trying it out because they've got some money to spend. But it's, it's a really, really difficult race to run in, especially when there's 20 plus candidates on the ballot. So a lot of people aren't even going to get a clear look from voters just because it's, it's a lot to process if you got other things to do like kids and work and everything else. 
I want to ask you this. This is the, the real final question. And I'm actually going to break it into two questions. <laughs> Looking back, because you have lived in different neighborhoods of Philadelphia, you've worked in a, a different neighborhoods your whole life. So, I mean, what, what surprised you at this point in the race as compared to eight years ago? And then the real final question uh, related to everything is if you want to venture a guess on turnout. Because Philadelphia turnout in last November, a wildly different election, but significantly more money was spent. It was just awful. I mean, Philadelphia turnout was totally subpar. So two-part final question, but thank you so much for your time and perspective. Yeah, I mean, one thing that surprised me is that people aren't running more clearly against Mayor Kenny. If you look at the 2007 race, Michael Nutter ran as the anti-John Street. John Street spent the next eight years complaining about that. You look at 2015, Jim Kenny ran as the anti-Michael Nutter. Michael Nutter spent eight years complaining about that. And and also Helen Gim, you know, ran for council as the anti-Nutter and some other folks too. So, you know, there's a trend of people kind of defining themselves against their predecessor that just hasn't arrived in the same manner. I mean, if you listen to Maria Kiona Sanchez or Helen Gim, they spend more time criticizing Michael Nutter, who was mayor almost a decade ago, than they do criticizing Jim Kenney. So I'm, I'm surprised that people aren't kind of going after Kenny more. Uh, he's a pretty easy target, I think. Uh, there's not much he can say back to these folks. You know, and I, I would like to see them kind of contrast themselves as how they would be a better project manager than he was. He had never run anything before becoming mayor. Uh, he had only been a, a staffer and a legislator. So, you know, he didn't really have the, the experience of managing big projects or large groups of people. And I, I would like to see some of the candidates just say, hey, I know how to do that. I got government experience. I got private sector experience. And this is what I'm going to do. Alan Dom has done a little bit of that, but he's, he's the only one. Uh, I'm surprised that the whole field hasn't uh, embraced it. All right. So I don't know if you're deliberately ducking the last question, though, but with 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 all these factions, with so much for voters to consider, the percentage turnout uh, come uh, uh, May. Yeah, I mean, it should be somewhere around 35 to 40 percent. Um, if it's over 40 percent, that's pretty good. I think uh, in the 2015 primary, that's that's around where we were. You know, that means around 400,000 votes in the mayor's race which means that you could probably win if you hit 100,000 votes, which, which, is a, which is a big total to do. And as I said before, probably not a total that anybody can reach without having significant support in every kind of bucket of voter that exists out there. But I think around you know, 35 to 40% is where I would be expecting things to be if I was a strategist in one of the campaigns that I'd be telling my candidate you need 100,000 votes to win, which would be around a quarter, a, a quarter of the total in a 10-person you know, race or eight-person race, whatever it ends up being, being. Good stuff. Well, thank you much. I really appreciate the time and perspective. I know listeners do as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Pennsylvania Kitchen Table Politics. Take a minute and leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform. Please also consider following us on social media for updates and announcements regarding future episodes and new guests. You're political, so I am sure that you're on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. We are too at PA Political Podcast. 
Visit our website, papoliticalpodcast.org, and send us your feedback about this episode and suggestions on future guests. Until next week. Thank you.